Hey, this is Akuya Jamfi, and you're listening to TBB Talks, a podcast where we from the British Blacklist bring you our conversations with creative black folk from the UK and across the globe. We'll be talking to up and comings, headline popping, and the legends from screen, stage, music, and literature. Basically, if they're creative, we'll be talking to them. And we hope to shed some insight into their lives, the work that they choose, who their inspirations are, how they stay motivated, and more importantly, how they keep sane being black in the arts and entertainment world. Thank you for talking to me. Um, you guys just returned. Did you guys just come from Cannes as well? Yeah. Sorry. So I oh, sorry. <laughs> it's part of the business, but I understand it. Yeah. We had a mid- our screening was at midnight. Oh, really? So we were really? Up. Yeah. Why? Five o'clock in the morning, almost. Yeah, they. Um, I guess they do three midnight screenings. Well, they did three midnight screenings. This particular can. Oh. It's a special screening. Okay. It's, it's can. Did you have to do like Q and A's as part of it? No. no. Oh, okay. So you. No. At least. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Lisa, it said that you had the idea to make the documentary about Whitney when you met her on the Oprah show. That's a long time to have a seed of an idea. So what were your initial thoughts? And did you speak to Whitney yourself at that time? That No, it was really just something. When we, we did an interview with Whitney in 2009, that's when I really first met Pat and got to know Pat. And it was promoting her album that she was putting out with Clive Davis. And I think at the time, for us, with Oprah, the last interview Whitney did that was significant was the Diane Sawyer interview. Mm-hmm. Everyone remembers, yeah. and we saw in the film, actually. Mm-hmm. And we sort of wanted people to have a different memory of Whitney and also get to know her a little bit better. I mean, obviously, we were huge fans of hers, and, and Oprah had known her over the years. So, But it was a big deal because she hadn't talked in a long time. And it was really powerful because it felt like she tried to open up. Yep. She tried to be more open than we had seen her in the past. And she showed up for that interview, and we were really happy about that. And we were actually moved by it. So it was just something that I started thinking about at that point mm-hmm. in time, because Pat and I had had a lot of conversations about people falling away, right? When the addiction became so public and people had kind of written, not all people, clearly I had not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and a lot of us who were fans had not, but there were many who had and is just an addict, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, as somebody who loved her so much as a fan, I really was hoping that at some point we could sort of explore her as a person Mm -hmm. and get to know her as a person. And I think sometimes people see these very famous people as just famous people and they forget that they have families and people that love them and people that are affected by all the horrible things that are Mm -hmm. written. And I was interested in learning a little bit more about Whitney. So many years later, I was talking to Nicole David, who was Whitney's film agent. And then Nicole and I um, went and started talking to Pat about Mm -hmm. it. And then we partnered up with the Chins because they're obviously incredible documentary yeah, filmmakers. Yeah, sure. Simon's films are two of my favorite of yeah. all time. And Pat, Nicole, and I met with Simon and Jonathan. Mm-hmm. And then Nicole had the idea to bring in Kevin McDonald as the director. Mm-hmm. I was actually looking for that footage in the documentary of her speaking to Oprah. I wondered why it wasn't in there. Um, I remember watching it in the UK and being mesmerized. We were waiting for something. I don't think Diane Sawyer's interview played over here, but we had the Oprah show, so we got to see that one. So I remember that was something like, oh my gosh, she's talking, we're hearing the other side of Whitney. Obviously, there was so much footage to trawl through. So how did you make decisions about what went in and what didn't? And again, why wasn't that specific segment inserted in anywhere? Well, at the end of the day, it's really Kevin McDonald's vision at the end of the day. So um, he chose to leave it out. My guess is it wasn't warranted. You know, at the okay, end of the day, you have the people who are closest to Whitney talking. Mm. And Kevin did over 70 interviews because he was really on an exploration because he wasn't a super, not that he didn't respect her talent, but he wasn't yeah. 
like me. Not and, everyone's a fan. This is very right. Fair so enough. he he was more exploring Whitney as the person, and he went through quite a lot of interviews mm. to try to find her. He, he often said like it's hard to find her, probably because of addiction. Right. That sure. you're sort of not as present mm. as you could be if mm-hmm. you didn't suffer from right. that. So that's why that wouldn't have appeared, okay. I think, because there were so many other things to cover in this film. Patricia, when Lisa came to you and um, Nicole, David, what was your first reaction? Has it been something that you were thinking about how to you would visualise or capture Whitney's legacy in your position as actually so? What, had you been thinking about this in the past? or? Well, there have been docu- documentaries that are sure. out there. There have been television shows that were produced about her life. And all of these people were doing this. You know, they didn't know her story. And uh, I said, in order to do her story, you have to tell her story. You have to know her story. And who best in the family mm-hmm. who has dealt with her from the day she was born to the day she died. And everything is about timing. I knew these women very well, and Nicole almost for about 26 years, and sure. Lisa for about, uh, I guess, 11 years, 12 years. And um, you work with people, and you connect with people that uh, are like you, mm. uh, similar, that can work together, and it's all about the team. It's all about the, the person that we want to do a film about, and we all love her. I'm happy that we mm. came together to do this, and it was just all about timing, and now is the right time. So then we also had the Nick Broomfield's project last year that came out and it had a different perspective and narrative that is pushing towards, regardless if you liked it or not, was there a conflict of interest telling the two stories? Because this reception to it in the UK was well received, but I think it's because people also wanted to know about Whitney and her life. So it was captivating, but it had the voice of Whitney because he he had lots of footage of her speaking, but then it was missing a bit of the superstar and the warmth and love as well. So this is where this fills in the gaps. So I just wanted to know how, you know, you guys navigated the fact that this one was out there. Was there a conversation with Nicole? No, we were talking about this for quite some time before that even was mm-hmm. happening. I'm a huge fan of Nick Broomfields. He makes his film and and Kevin McDonald makes a very sure. different type of film. Yeah. And I think we just felt it just is one of those things that kind of happened randomly that they were happening, sounded like at the same time, but yeah. they really weren't. Mm-hmm. And I, Kevin, I don't think ever saw that. Nick Broomfield film intentionally so that he wouldn't feel that you were feeding it. Well, you yeah. know, you, you, I don't think he wanted to be conflicted or confused. Yeah, so yeah. I think we feel like they're very different filmmakers yeah. and they are very different stories. For us, it was important that we had the people who are really in Whitney's life and her mm-hmm. family because mm-hmm. part of why we wanted to make the film is that people often forget about the human person. The icon becomes a celebrity who's like not a person. And yeah, untouchable. And there's so much mm-hmm. hurt yeah. that goes on. Were you okay with the Whitney, can I be me? Well, they came to us about the project. We explained that we were doing our own project. Mm. Yes, I was a little, offensive, a little on the defense because of that. Why would you do a story and not involve the family in mm. the way that you should? If you go ahead and do that, and of course, I'm going to, in my head, it's like, oh, okay. I think people should respect her legacy and her, t- her story should be told by her estate, her yes. family, yeah. the people that knew her best. Mm. And um, that wasn't honored in, that, in the family's eyes. You know, he did what he needed to do. He is a filmmaker. I I don't hold anything against him. We just didn't want to be a part of it because we were doing our own thing. A lot of people are concerned when you're doing an authorized film, right, that it's going to be a puff piece or it's going to be something. They're not going to tell the truth. And I think what's been amazing about working with Pat and the family is that everyone really did their best to tell the truth as they saw it, right, and as much of the truth as they could. And... That was a real process with Kevin and people, I think, feeling comfortable with him. It's very charming. 
That's <laughs> <laughs> the skill of getting to you as filmmaker. You've got to get yeah. to the heart. And yeah, he is. He and is. he's also very like, he has no agenda. Yeah. He's just very curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did that because you were interviewed by him many times. Yeah. Yes, I was. You talk about yourself, you know, and when you're talking about Whitney, but he's talking to you yeah. and he's talking about her, but he's also talking and speaking with you yeah. and trying to understand your feelings as well. Mm. You know, it was very therapeutic. I was just for, about to say, was it cathartic? Yeah, you know? it was cathartic. It was just one of those moments where you just felt comfortable, you know, and when you're holding on to information for so yeah. long and you live your life under a microscope all the time and people are always watching you, you know, when you sit down with someone and you know you're working on a project and you know it's... Uh, authentic and real and you're dealing with someone you know you're in good hands mm-hmm. and I felt that we were just in really in good hands and like she said he didn't have an agenda but to find mm-hmm. the story yeah. and the right story the true story mm-hmm. the family opened up spoke out but they spoke out about themselves that's what was most important they spoke out about themselves and it just included her so when you first met Whitney what stage of her career was she and where was she personally how did you two connect and were you a fan from the outside looking in until you met Gary and the family? And when did you realise all was not what it seemed? And then what was most frustrating about her world, from the people around her who were surviving off her, from her love life, from her as an artist and mother, and I guess her inability to heal? I met Whitney, well, first, you know, I met Gary, my husband now, for yes. 24 years. Congratulations. Um, thank you. <laughs> I met Gary, you know, very charming gentleman, and we actually met in New York City. Gary is a, a basketball player, and we had a mutual friend, Lindbergh Johnson, who played for Wichita State, Gary DePaul, and they had a friend, Xavier McDonald, that was being um, traded to the New York Knicks from the Supersonics, and they were throwing a party for him. Okay. And the friend asked Gary to sing, and he asked me to sing, so he brought us together. The party never took place, but I was asked to perform at Shea Maxim's in New York, and uh, I didn't want to do it alone, so I reached out for Gary to perform with me. Did you fancy him then? No. Okay. <laughs> actually, I did not. I was actually dating a basketball coach oh, okay. at that particular time okay. in the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we were just friends. We, mm. we performed together, and I didn't really like him. I thought he was very arrogant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just talked too much. We started dating after maybe after about six months. Okay. We just started dating, and he invited me out to Las Vegas because he was Whitney's lead background vocalist. Sure. And he invited me out to Las Vegas to her show. And I flew out, you know, and met her there. She was very cordial, you know, and I hung out with Gary and his dad a lot out there. Was there a bit of that, you know, when you meet the sister of the boyfriend, it's, there's always, they either like you or they're like, no, that's my brother, so I'm protecting. Was she? No, was she, she, she was very nice yeah. from the first moment that I met her. I was the type of person that always stayed in my lane. It, it was all about me and Gary, you yeah. know. He, I called him Dark Gable, six <laughs> four. Really handsome, so that was my world right (laughs) there. And um, she was very cordial, you know, and Gary and I dated. We... He's six years older, and I'm three years older than her. We were just always on our own, you know, and when I was out there on the road, I came out to see, after we were married, I came out to be with my husband. He just happened to be Whitney's brother, or she just happened to be his sister. But it was all about Gary. So when did you realize that things, because obviously Gary had his own struggles as well, so when did you realize all was not what it seemed, and how 
How frustrating was that for you? Because then you became her manager? I did. Yeah. Um, Gary and I got married in 1994, and we started a business, well, I did, in North Carolina, where I was from, after we were married, mm. uh, called Trisha's Jewels and Company. And when he was on, we lived in New Jersey, but my family is from North Carolina. I was in North Carolina running the business, and when Gary was on the road working, yeah. I wasn't around him. I knew that he had a recreational usage of drugs, but I didn't know the extent of sure. the problem. And uh, you'd hear the rumors as it relates to drugs, but I was never around it, and I never saw it, because when the family came together, she was always cool mm -hmm. and always looking great and doing what was required of mm -hmm. her, and I didn't see anything. But after our daughter was born in 1997, I had complications with her birth, and we moved back to New Jersey. I closed the business in North Carolina, and in 1998, I went out on tour with them. And that was the revelation when I really found out about mm -hmm. the drugs with Whitney, with Gary. I was so angry that when we were in London and I really found out the extent of the habit, I got Rhea, my baby, and I left. And instead of coming home, I just went to the next city, Ireland, because it was the MTV uh, Ireland Awards. Okay. And I went to the next city to wait for them. I was going to give him the opportunity to explain to me what was happening and what was going on. And I remember Whitney coming to the room when they got there. She was upset that I had left. And I remember having the conversation and just letting her know, listen, you guys can do whatever you choose. I said, but when it comes to Gary, is a wife and a daughter and anything is possible out here on the road. You're in not only endangering yourself, but your families. I can't do it. She apologized, you know, as it relates to the behavior. And we became close that day. That clearing of everything, the honesty. Oh, the yeah. yeah. The honesty, you know, because I just could not believe it. And what perpetrated all of that was right before London, we were in Italy mm -hmm. at a Dolce & Gabbana party that they had held for her. And Gary went missing, and I think you saw in the film, he said he went out to get the drugs. Yeah. Well, that, that was that night, and I'm, wow. I'm out with him, and we're at the party, and he disappears. I'm asking, where is he? Oh, he'll be back, he'll be back, and I knew something was wrong, yeah. you know, then, and I was like, oh my goodness. But that trip did it, 1998 is when I really found out what was up. So what was the most frustrating? I know people who have addiction, and it's that thing where you want to help, you want to like wake yourself up, but they have to want to do it or they have to be able to. So that inability for her to heal, what was, how did that affect you? I mean, you're a human being, being around that, how did that affect you personally? I saw someone in trouble immediately. You know, I always looked at everyone around her, and I never could figure out why no one could get her into rehab. I had a problem with that. You know, I always say that you can talk about love all day long, from the parents to the brothers to Robin to Bobby, but no one seemed to be able to get her to go to rehab. And uh, it didn't sit right with me. Mm -hmm. But when she finally agreed to go, she went kicking and screaming at first, but when she finally agreed to go, she did go and she did try to get help for herself. But it was very frustrating, very frustrating, but I refused to abandon her. I looked beyond her being Whitney Houston, the icon, and was looking at my sister-in-law that was in trouble. Yeah. I didn't think about anything else. I thought about her well-being with her when she had absolutely nothing. I still stood by her to make sure that she was okay. Yeah. You know, but it was it was extremely frustrating. You know, but when you love, you love.
it was about her well-being for me. Yeah. So Lisa, you pulled together a super team of filmmakers, including you know the Oscar-winning director, Simon Chin. Why was it important to have this level of, of esteemed creators on board? And I work with you know grassroots people are trying to get money for anything to yeah. make a film. I would think that this story is something that would sell itself. So did you still need that extra level of... Um, I wanted to make sure that the caliber of people that were coming around to make... The, I mean, it's a big responsibility to make a of film course. about Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure that we had the best people we could. And we did. I mean, I feel like we pulled together an incredible team of people and, and people who really were committed to creating a film that had context, but also some meaning. I mean, sure. you know, Kevin, I think, made the film that he uncovered as he went along. And it's been a passion project for us all. But that, I think it was important to do that because if you're telling Whitney's story, yeah, it's important to have the best people you can. And also, was there, telling the story of an iconic black woman, a super duper pop star, did you have any reservations about the white gaze and how to not upset the tenuous relationship black celebrities have had with the media in the past? And with the creators having creative control, I mean, the director's wanting Kevin to be able, I'm kept wanting to have his stamp on it and how he wanted to make it. Was there anything that you were reluctant to let be shown? And was there anything that, did you kind of say, well, as a black woman icon, maybe this is where you could steer clear? Or I don't know, was there any kind of conversation about that? Because we are quite sensitive to how our stars are portrayed. Well, I had sensitivity about the molestation part. Sure, of course. And, uh, not so much the molestation part, but about the, the person that was named for the molestation. And I had to really get with myself and not think about the person that was molesting, but think about the people that were molested because my husband was involved in that segment. And how do you not tell him not to speak about what has been embedded in him for, uh, he's 60 years old, embedded in him for 50 years. Sure. I could not do that, knowing the struggles that he had had in his life. And then also watching her all these many years. And it's like, what do you do about that? But I was extremely uncomfortable because there are people back here, her sister and her aunt, meaning Gary and Whitney's mother, two women that I honor very much, two honorable women. The pain that I know that they would endure behind this was grueling for me. But I think about the pain that Whitney and Gary had to endure, and that's where my heart was. I had to really think about them. Like I said, it was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do was to get past that. And it, it was it was tough because I love both of those women very much, but I also had to realize that they can't be responsible for someone else's actions. And, you know, some families just have flawed family members and there's nothing that you can do about it. And Lisa, was, was there any kind of concern about the portrayal of a black icon, white creators around the project, concern about how it would come across? Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, Kevin felt like the right person. We all met with him and we decided as a team that that was really valuable for this film. And lastly, um, best memories of Winnie, what, have, what did you learn from her? What strength did you take away from her? And what do you want people to understand about this documentary in particular, both of you? Understand that she was human, uh, just like anyone else. You know, we put celebrities and on pedestals all the time and we make them feel like that they're immortal. We make them feel that they can't have emotions and they can't feel a certain way or certain things can't happen to them just that she was human. They knew her as Whitney, the icon. They need to know Whitney, her as Whitney, the human, a, a person, you know, that was a, a mother, a daughter, a sister, a wife, you know, and with the, that comes specific obligations. And she was never really given a chance because she lived her life under a microscope. And uh, just to understand her world.
Yeah, I think I want people to understand the human, as she's saying, really. And I also think part of this film that's really sort of compelling to me is how when you see the SNL skit and the Adult Swim skit, and yeah. you see how mean that is. And yeah. I feel like over the years, because I am such a fan of hers, when I saw things like that about Whitney, I just thought, oh, like, you know, why are we being so mean? And I think that's what happens. We, we build these people up, and then we tear them down, and then we stomp on them. Yeah. And my hope is that people have some compassion for her and for her family and for themselves and their own families mm-hmm. and see this as what it is, which is a family story and the story about a person, a person that we all love and we love what she left behind. And, and I hope they, you know, continue to, you know, listen to the music. And I hope that yeah. that, you know, is in their heads as they leave the theater. Mm-hmm.